When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to Dad Band Land, the podcast that talks about all the music you love from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band, which is getting closer and closer to being a neighborhood cover band again. I'm Adam Felber, your host. I am Kevin Burke, the co-host and co-member of the band with Adam. Yeah, we're both bandmates. We're, I play keyboards. I play guitar. We are, the, I mean, at this point, the band members, but it's growing. It's growing. It's growing back. It's growing back. Yeah, it's like, it's like we pruned a bush and now it's growing back. It's growing back like my mullet. Speaking about growing, like our audience, um, <laughs> yes. let's look around the table at our other uh, co-co-hosts. There's yeah. um, there's Jeffy Branion, uh, who is the proprietor of Jeffy's Jukebox. Jeffy, what are you spinning on your jukebox tonight? On tonight's jukebox, Jeffy's... Ju- <laughs> <laughs> on tonight's Jeffy's Jukebox, <laughs> scary songs. <laughs> and so that's scary songs or scary album covers, I guess. Or scary albums, sure. Scary things, scary... Musical things that scared you. That scared as you. As a child. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that happened. Huh? Speaking about horror and torment, over there is Brian Frank, real-life band manager and sole owner of the property known as owner. Brian's Wait, House of you, Wax. Did you buy it in the yeah, last week? Uh, no, no, no. It was handed down to me. I was listening to one of our recent episodes, and apparently old man Frank, I inherited <laughs> the House of Wax. I think, I think I inherited the house, and then I filled it with wax. Yes. Even oh. haunted, it's okay. still generational wealth. Uh, true. Right. right. <laughs> That's a tragedy. Right. <laughs> it's very hard to, to I like to... that you did research on our own show too to figure out what you're <laughs> listen, man. I gotta keep up somehow. <laughs> what do you got in your house of wax tonight, Brian? Tonight we'll be talking about Aretha Franklin's live double album, Amazing Grace. Yes, All right. we wow. will. That was some other kind of journey this week, wasn't it, boys? Absolutely. Yes, it was. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get straight to the uh, orders of business around here. Kevin, what's going on with our band? Well, I mean, nothing official, but I was in the streets, out on the street. That's where we'll meet. And I ran into Marcus, who plays bass with us. Uh-huh. And we were walking our dogs, and we started having chats. And the chats were basically like, why are we not doing this? Why are we not playing? And I said, we got to make this happen. He said, we're going to make this happen. We pointed to each other the way grownups do. Yeah. And said, yeah, let's do this. And then we walked, walked our dogs home. Almost simultaneously, I was exchanging text messages with our drummer, Trey, who I saw the other day at the uh, at the World Fair over at my kid's elementary school. Oh, oh yeah. And uh, Trey's 100% uh, recovered from his uh, Def Leppard-like injury. And Trey, He also grew a mustache. When I saw him, I thought perhaps he was in disguise? Yeah, he does have a mustache thing I happening. I didn't know if it was the, evil Trey. We can't have a band meeting about it until we have a band. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yes, he is rocking a mustache, but he will soon be rocking with us again. His his shoulder, he's rehabbing it, and it's feeling oh, much better, great. and he's ready to play. So I feel like we have a kind of a band. The stars are aligning. Yes, they Spring are. Springtime's coming. Yep. Oh, my gosh. If you have been on this podcast following this drama, maybe <laughs> we're coming out of the end of this. That The light, 
at the end of the tunnel. And we'll be playing away. again. I can't wait. I know that we have a gig uh, at that at the Federal Bar when when we when we ask for it. So that'll be fantastic. When we remember how to play all these songs, we will remember. Now let's move on to breakdown, the section that you've become the proprietor of. I guess I am the proprietor of breakdown recently, and it's mostly because I've been trying to get to the bottom of the mystery of how we got to this. Point. <laughs> this I, pinnacle this, of success. The pinnacle of success that we've achieved. A band on hiatus with a podcast. <laughs> this. <laughs> I dreamed of this as a child. We all did. And we are now here. I have to pinch myself. Um, it. Uh, no, the reason it. I bring it up is because I realize we have a lot of listeners who are in similar bands or have been or had dreams of rock and roll when they were young and they've then become regular folk and uh, trying to bridge that gap. So I'm, I'm trying to. Get to the try to figure out how you got here, how okay. I got here. Share this stuff, and tonight I want to talk about because I don't know exactly how this works for keyboardists. What was your? <laughs> I don't know how anything works for keyboardists. You really are super ignorant when it comes to keyboards. <laughs> I have never like, looked I know over... so much more about guitars than you I know can... about keyboards. Yeah, well, that's because guitars are cool. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, that's either here or there. The point is, mm-hmm. what was your first like keyboard that you bought? That you, I know you had like a player piano in your basement for ghosts, <laughs> for, for specters, for specters, <laughs> bellows pumping. Uh, my first keyboard, I think I got around the age of thirteen. It was a. It wasn't even an electric piano. It was an electronic piano. It wasn't touch sensitive. I think it was a Yamaha. What, what does touch sensitive mean? Meaning, that oh, it was meaning a like, or, like ju- ju- on or off. Like yeah, not, it, like, it was. It's binary. It's okay. Felber facts. Felber facts. And it was uh, probably five octaves, which is a lot less than a piano. And it was unsatisfying in almost every way. But you know, I worked out a deal <laughs> with my parents that if I could buy the keyboard, they'd buy the amplifier. And you know, oh, so you, so it had to have its own amplifier. What kind of amplifier do you get for that? Oh, just the same as a guitar amp, really. Wow. Yeah, you could use almost any amp. And, and you could use a guitar amp as a bass amp or a bass amp as a guitar amp. You as guitarists think that you need special amps and you don't. No, I did. I, I had a bass and never owned a bass amp. Don't so you need it. a special pedal and a special amp for everything? Well, here's the thing. we did. I did save up enough money from this paper route to not only get this crappy keyboard. What, to, what brand was this? I'm, I'm interested. I think it was Yamaha, but it was it was... It was really Neolithic. We're it talking started about like with 1980 sure. or 81. Right oh, okay, here. and I had I knew I wanted an effect on it because it sound it only had like seven sounds on board and they weren't good enough. So I was trying to decide between a flange and a phaser. I went with a phaser. Oh, so so oh, so that you had those options. Those there was a Yamaha I, with flange. Well, no, or, I, I bought a phaser pedal. Oh, you have a special pedal for that. It's a, the same as a guitar pedal. I get you it now. Really I didn't know. Get any of this why didn't you just make, why didn't you just get a keytar if you were so close? You were already there. Oh, hey, while while we're on the topic of uh, pedals, have you guys seen the Steel Panther uh, I, guitar pedals? I saw that it existed this very week. There's one called the Butthole Burner, <laughs> and one called the Pussy Melter. Okay. So, fun, fun fact. I didn't, uh, that is a fun those fact. Those are Kyle, uh, guitar you. pedals, not keyboard pedals. <laughs> they can't be used for keyboards. <laughs> no, they can't be at all. <laughs> so anyway, that was my first keyboard. It was five years later, right before I went to college, that I saved up and bought a keyboard that I know we've talked about on the show before. The iconic synthesizer of the 1980s, the Yamaha DX7. Oh, that's awesome. So you got this, focused on it, saved up even more money because you were determined to... Spent $1,750 on my brand new Yamaha DX7 right before leaving for college. That's like a million dollars in like, today's in money. Today's world. Yeah. That's yeah. probably more than your whole first semester of college. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't check the numbers on your no, college. No, so, no, yeah. Probably not. 
Um, it sounded very good. So how about yeah. yours, Ke- Kevin? You you got a guitar, and then you bought another guitar, I'm guessing. And, and they, that's they, how, that, they yeah. both had like six strings that made <laughs> wah, 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 wah noises. I freak, you really do know a lot more about guitars than I know about keyboards. <laughs> oh, no, I know that like when you're starting out, it's probably going to be either an Ibanez or a... Uh, it depends on... I, a, I remember distinctly, my mom was like, you should get an acoustic strat. guitar. She was like, you need an acoustic guitar because mostly cause she didn't want me to have a loud electric guitar. And then right. she called... A cousin of mine who played guitar, and he's like, "No, he should just start with an electric." So that I won that argument, saved up with a paper route as well, which is pretty amazing that we had the same job to, yeah. to make rock and roll. Were you money. good not at the, paper the same route? paper route though, right? Probably not. Well, we were competing paper boys trying to get newspapers to the to the houses faster than the other one. You know, a fun fact, and and I'll I'll let you finish. Um, when I needed the Yamaha DX7 and some other things when I was a senior in high school. I went back and took a paper route because my old paper route supervisor said, there's no kids in your neighborhood anymore that want to deliver. If you deliver out of your car, I'll give you 12 <laughs> routes. And I took it. That, the money was insane. He's like, awesome. he's like, yeah. I'll let you throw it out the window of your car, but I need somebody to get these papers to people's places. I think oh, that was a, the plot of Newsies, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. yeah that's exactly what that was. It was based Newsies on me. Too. Yeah. That's that, that's a more interesting – got to spend some time on that story. That's a more interesting <laughs> story than any of these other ones. That was um, a nuts job, yeah. Uh, no, I got I saved up whatever paper out hundred and it was a hundred thirty dollar Kramer Striker, which never stayed in tune. But I didn't know enough about music to know if it was in tune half the time. So I was trying to figure that. It took me some years to figure out what in tune even sounded like, you know. But I had to get there. And then uh, yeah, I played that for years. I played it through high school. I played it through part of college. I, it's still in my mom's house. It's still in you still have summer. it. I still have it. I don't have it with me now. My mom has. When it did you realize that guitar was a piece of shit? Well, it was a good guitar in theory. It might have been owner problems that, that led it to be <laughs> owner operator operator, error. operator issues that might have led it to be out of tune. No, you know what it was, and this is something guitar players will understand. But it had a tremolo, but no lock nut at the top of the string. So anytime I I moved the whammy bar, uh-huh. the entire thing just went out of tune. Never came back into oh, tune. Oh no! Oh, I did. I was like, whatever. I didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. So clearly, you thought still, you just had to play around that. I just yeah, I just changed the key of every song. Do you use a whammy bar nowadays? <laughs> I do not. In fact, I the only the only I have an Ibanez with a whammy bar. I do not. Oh no, I also have a I also have a Flying V, a Jackson Flying V with a whammy bar. But I of don't. Of course you do. I, <laughs> I do. You've trained yourself not to use the whammy bar. No, I. You know what? I haven't. I mostly play my Les Paul, and I haven't been using it for years. But I did pull out the the Flying V a couple weeks ago, and immediately went like. And kept doing all these these dives because that's the only <laughs> thing you do with that. Um, yeah, that's really all you do. With that. I really. What pants did you wear while you played that? I I had I used to have these jeans that were that were like a net. Like it took me like ten minutes to get my leg through the hole because all the holes because they were just there's so many holes. They were like Steven Tyler style. <laughs> yeah, I get hole it. Yeah, sure. Jeans. Yeah, those, that's that's that was my pant wear. Why are you so interested in my pants? What's it's going just, on? The flying V. You're usually wearing the satin pants. Or the or the spandex in private. At yeah. least you're wearing pants. Well, that's, I'm, that's, I'm not such up the conclusion. <laughs> it's a flying V, after all. <laughs> Can cover a lot of territory. But that, that oh, all came goodness. later. Like it wasn't until I was playing for years on this guitar that was not great that I got my first Ibanez, which actually had all the functioning elements to it, the lock nut and everything. That was college, and I played that for years. And my first amp was this, six, this thing called a Gorilla Tube Cruncher. 
I've, I found one online today. The guy described it. He goes, this is the worst amp ever made. <laughs> <laughs> but it selling, does have a particular sound. He was selling it. He, he was like, some people are nostalgic for this shit. He's like, there's got some distortion. It sounds like glass smashing. I was like, this is all accurate. It's that, amazing what people can get it's nostalgic accurate glass for. smashing. Yeah. Like, well, like cassette, cassette tapes are making a comeback in some circles now. Absolutely. It's the stupidest fucking thing ever. I would order that Gorilla amp, but I still have my original Gorilla amp, so no need to. No, we're all nostalgic. You yeah. know what is interesting though? When people, I'm not a car guy. When people get in this, when older generations would get nostalgic, it'd be these great cars from the '50s that they would remodel. Our generation is it like a '86 CRX that doesn't work? Like we yeah. didn't have we didn't have cars that that you would renew and that you would rebuild in no. your backyard. No, we have no cars to be nostalgic, nostalgic about. about. No, no except, except that one DeLorean from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, those were that's where I started. Then I then I started getting. Better guitars as I went later, but we, we'll get into that at some other point. Yeah, we'll but, move but on. I had enough. That was enough to get into into trouble playing yeah, music. We whetted people's appetites on that. All right, all right. So let's move on to our next segment, and we love this one. Right there, down the road, down the pike, opposite the gas station, there's a joint. In the corner of the joint is a jukebox. It's Jeffy's jukebox. Let's go. That's right. It's Jeffy's jukebox, and we're here to talk about scary songs. Oh, boy. This one's a tough one for me, gentlemen, because I'm about to drop some scary songs on you. <laughs> oh, nice. What? Songs what? or bands that scared you as a child? You want to kick us off, Jeff? Yeah. I'd like to start with Hotel California. Interesting. I think it really is all summed up by the last line. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Yeah, so that scared me. Well, so I got I got need some context here. You're young. You've heard it on the radio. Yeah, no, no one gave you a warning to this. You started paying attention to the lyrics. You're like, what? What the hell's yeah, going on? Yeah, it's like here? it's you, you. You know, it gets played a lot. It was a very it, popular song, yeah. <laughs> and so eventually you're kind of you start tuning into the lyrics maybe more than usual, and you start trying to picture what he's describing and. Jeffy, same. I was scared by that song. Yeah, okay. They stabbed it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the Yeah, beast. what does that mean? I, they're stabbing something that won't die yeah. is what it means. How but do you guys, kill that something that is already dead? The nightman said to relax. You're oh, fine. See? Like yeah, every, he's everything the nightman. I, I, I'll be clear. I would have been scared by this song if I ever made it to the end of the song <laughs> when it was on the radio. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I, so you were too good for Hotel California and you were It was already so... Overplayed and boring. I assume there couldn't be anything danger about it. So mm, I, wow, ne okay. I never occurred to me till maybe sometime in the '90s that this was this was a dark, scary song. Really? My knowledge of the Eagles was just kind of dull, acoustic, you know, catchy stuff. And I didn't we've got to get we've got to get my old buddy Bill Maher on this show, who sat me down once and argued that persuasively, as far as he's concerned, that the Eagles are the greatest band that ever. Oh God, but I'd love to have I you guys. Argue. I mean that that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I, I'll drop one on you, one more on you, and then I'll open it up for the rest of the field here. The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Now, that scared you. Yeah. Well, that was that was really judgy, Adam. There is, there, you know, because that was a big song <laughs> that, in my childhood, that too. That scared you. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I just was, like any it, anything about a shipwreck. Yeah. And, you know, you start thinking about the undertoad coming to get you. Yeah. And uh, you know my friend John's uh, John's so John Santry's sister used to talk about the undertoad uh, pulling you down into the water, and that really stuck with me. 
Well, that's a, a little subplot thread in the world according to Garp as well. One of the kids is scared of the undertoad, thinks it's an actual toad. Mm. So, um, so I, I have think a it's a thing gotta, that went gotta, around. I got to follow up on this. You, it was lyrics that scared you, though. It wasn't necessarily music. It was when you started paying yeah, it attention wasn't, to words. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a minor key also is sure. kind of scary it's not helping. to children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald was a single by folk singer Canadian Gordon Lightfoot that was a big hit. Super slow song about, about a shipwreck in, yeah. in the mid-70s. I think, really sad... I don't know. I, Husbands I was... and wives, even kids lost their lives. I, I don't know the song. Come on, it's Brian. so sad. Do you want to you want to drop a drop some? Please drop some of that. I'm intrigued by this. Vamp, this I will pull a... it up. Do you not have any recollection of this song, Kevin? Uh, a recollection would imply that I had heard it at some point. <laughs> wow. I only heard it later in life, I, and I, I know I'm what it is though. now. I'm intrigued yeah, yeah. that there was yeah. a hit about it. It played because it played in my car because my mom liked it. I remember her cranking it up. She loves shipwrecks. Oh yeah, I do know this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you just no, didn't I'll recollect. Didn't re- I? I just, you know, I'll give it to you. I didn't recollect. The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait when the gales of November came slashing. When afternoon came, it was freezing rain in the face of a hurricane west wind. Yep, it's got that lilting sea shanty yeah, waltz it. time. It's in three, yeah, yeah so three, four. four. It's, it's, that's, yeah, it's a hook. That's a hook. I didn't know it was a big hit. I it can, was a hit? I can no. absolutely, though, see parents playing this in the car thinking it's a good song, not realizing they're tormenting it's, they're, their children. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not as bad as forcing you to go see, you know, the Amityville Horror. That seems in like a, a story. At a drive-in. Or the, the <laughs> invasion of the body snatchers with the, with the, with the, where you can't get out of the theater and you're only seven or, years old. Or, 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 or Tommy when you're seven. Ooh, that might have uh, hurt. There's some, there's right, so, some so let's, let's roll on. I want to get to Kevin next because, Kevin, you have a very uh, distinct relationship with fear. <laughs> Oh, what wow. does that mean? You, you are you are drawn to things that scare you. It has ju- it it defines many of the things in your That's, life. I Is he like, like your movie taste, your music taste, yeah. your friendship with me. That's uh, true. So, yeah, I there's probably some study about whatever the whatever the overlap of. Catholic school upbringing, horror movies, and, and heavy metal is whatever that is. I think it's about ninety percent overlap. I think it's all the Venn diagram is pretty much yeah. a circle. Yeah, and. Uh, so I guess that's there. So I can't think of many things that I was scared of, but I found many things that I that I love because they are functionally scary. And Delightfully I scary. Well, one one was actually something that bothered me. So you ran me. towards fear. Well, at first I didn't. I remember this, this distinctly. It was, I was at a neighbor's house. I'm going to say, this is 1985, and they had Stay Hungry. Swiss Sister Stay Hungry. And I'm a young, good Catholic school boy, and, some, and, and my friend was playing in his boombox, uh, You're Going to Burn in Hell. You're going to burn in hell, oh, evil. I was like, oh, God, what is this all about? And then I looked in their hallway. We all had crucifixes in our hallway because that was just the nature of what it was. And I was I remember looking at that thinking, this is so wrong. Something terrible is going to happen to me. Not realizing that Twisted Sister was awesome. And that, uh, so that, go to hell, I mean, burn in hell was a song that horrified me. And then nothing happened to you. And you're like, oh, this is all well, bullshit. And I was, was like, not yet. <laughs> and I lost, but but I, early on, I saw them in Pee Wee and I was like, yeah. wait a minute, they're friends with Pee Wee? This can't be bad. <laughs> well, early on, Twisted Sister scared you. 
And that, and you didn't even you hadn't even seen them yet. I had seen the cover. The cover of Stay Hungry. I don't know how familiar you are with the cover of Stay Hungry. <laughs> but isn't the, it Dee Snyder? Dee Snyder is this kind of screaming? He no. no. I mean that would be what you might see on the surface. One, he's holding a giant, massive bone of meat and blood on it. Which, oh yeah. Which isn't yeah. even the part that disturbed me. The part that disturbed me is he was living in squalor, like like those walls were like the, oh, there was yeah. no. And the squalor freaked me out. I was like, is this where those kind of people live? Is this what is? Is this what is this what life? rock and roll is? Is this what rock is? Am I getting into this? They were a is Long Island band. By the way, they yeah. were. Yes, they were. Yeah, and so my thought was every every building in Long Island looks. Like, this is how he. This That's when how I grew up. When he recorded the song, he was dressed like that, holding a bone of meat. <laughs> was that Long Island meat? It was Long Island meat, Undescri- <laughs> undescribable meat, and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, Bill's living finest. in squalor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, so squalor okay. Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. Squalor yeah. Long Island. So yes. that one, and and who else? Well, the other one is, I think this is a masterpiece of fear, and that is the first song on the first Black Sabbath album, Black Sabbath, the song. And that's, and we have to play a bit of that, because that is, the chords are, are classic tritone, which are notoriously devil music sounding. I mean, you know, there are always rumors that the, that the church had banned those three notes together because they sound so horrible, which is probably horseshit, but... It's two notes. It's just the interval that, that they was. It's the interval. To, you're right. Yeah. You're right. But there's three chords in the in the intro to this song. And plus the uh, the rain and the the devil. rain. Oh yeah, the horror movie aesthetic. Yeah. Well, and I have a note about that that I find fascinating, and I don't know if I've seen anywhere else. But I'll get to that in a second as we. Oh, here we go. It's Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, the song by Black Sabbath, the band on Black Sabbath, the album. <laughs> they were it's on t- a roll. Today isn't the Black Sabbath, is it? Because that would be like an extra layer. It would be. But this album, I actually had an anniversary like yesterday or two days ago. No, if, when you go online and, and, and look at what people think are the scariest songs ever written, this one always comes up. Always. Oh, yeah. really? Listen to these three yeah. chords. Eventually. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, right now it's it's very atmospheric. And, yeah, and yeah like, it's literally atmospheric. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, that's right. So I have to take a moment to add to this. Then, you would think this song, this is about the, the devil coming, would be would open with you know here I'm starting my arcane ritual. I've gathered the evil books I'm putting together. The first line is, "What is this that stands before me?" The devil was already in the fucking room. Wow! <laughs> when the first yeah. song starts, when the when the album starts, he's standing there staring at you. you yeah, have no point, time. No figure in black which points at me. He's <laughs> yeah. pointing at. He's you. pointing yeah. at you. So he's definitely noticed you. He has yes. seen you. You're yeah. not hiding from the devil. They waste no time. Black Sabbath wastes no time getting into this. Yeah, it's straight at the devil. Yeah, they're scaring you. They're they, not trying to hold back. They're not trying to hold back. So no. there's. So you were feared. You're, you're, it's designed to to scare people, and it's still legit a horror movie come to life. Like yeah, that no. is a great song for that reason. What I wanted to add to that is that's the first song in the very first Black Sabbath album. The last song on the very last Black Sabbath album, thirteen, is a song about the evils of the Catholic Church, mm. and like the priest is the devil, and it fades out to the same rain at the end of it, bookending their career, almost suggesting that that devil from the very first. First song is coming back. Was the church to was begin the with? Priest. Was oh, the wow. priest wow. to begin with? There is a story arc to the Black Sabbath Career. discography. Yes. Wow, that's has amazing. anyone else ever done that? 
a story arc to their careers yeah. that you have to know its ending. So yeah. it's pretty tough. I bet there are. That's a good question. I bet there no, are. Well, know. Ziggy Stardust, but maybe only that's one a album. question it's we should album. ask our listeners. Yeah, like yeah. has anyone managed to bookend their whole career in a way that was interesting, and rewarding? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, Brian Frank. Yeah. I want to take you back. You're nine years old. You probably only have 40 or 50 tattoos at that point. Um, and what's scaring you? Yeah, get to it. I, I had a hard time uh, answering this personally, finding something that was personally scary to me because I was a little older when I came upon rock and roll and it was of my own device. And like Kevin, like I was into horror movies and all this stuff. So I was not bothered by stuff, but I have a. I'm going to throw my sister under the bus for this one because it's a, a pretty good story. Fair. So, I think I may have mentioned this on the show, um, but um, Kiss was the first rock music I ever heard. The first album I ever owned was Kiss Alive. You poor man. And you know, I, I can loved. I ask what, can yeah. I ask what age you were? <sighs> Probably like six, seven, something like that. Yeah. Small side note: I did not discover them until after. There's like a window. If you get into them before. Nine. Yeah. The then you're in. Then you're in. Yeah. And if you miss Are it. You? Yeah. And so. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, you didn't get into him when you, before like you were Kiss. nine. I don't like Kiss, but I'm throwing Brian here a Kiss bone. Right. I get why Brian loves Kiss. It's a D. Snyder yeah. uh, bone. Boom. Yeah. Of me. That's of a bloody yeah. Long yeah. Island meat. It's the, Queens, Island meat. it's the Queens version. <laughs> so. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. You so, should get that meat cured. Yeah. So, um, so my first few records were actually Kiss. Like, I just had Kiss records. And That's never... all records were to you. Yeah, pretty much. And um, I w- Kiss was coming in concert. And uh, my mom, God bless her, uh, was going to take, took my sister and me to a Kiss concert. My mother having no experience about rock Is this concerts. still makeup era Kiss? No, this is post-makeup era Kiss. So uh, my mom didn't know about concerts, opening acts, any of that. The ticket says, you know, whatever time, 8 o'clock. We're there at 8 o'clock on the dot. We drove an hour. She drove us an hour and 15 minutes to go to this show. Do you remember where it was? So it was at the West Palm Beach Arena in West Palm Beach, Florida. So we show up. We get in our seats. We're up in the nosebleeds. And a band takes the stage. But it's not Kiss. It's the (laughs) opening band. We didn't know of such a thing. The opening band was Wasp. Oh, okay. no. For no. those of you listening uh, who don't know, oh, WASP stands for <laughs> We Are Sexual Perverts. They were promoting their single Fuck Like a Beast. Uh-huh, yes. The uh, lead singer was wearing a codpiece with a, a buzzsaw. I remember uh, the buzzsaw codpiece. And behind them, <laughs> this is Spinal tapish. Giant shrunken heads of themselves. Th- this is Spinal tapish. So both, right. both giant and shrunken. <laughs> right. They're giant trunken heads. So anyway, my sister, who's two years younger than I am, uh-huh. freaks the fuck out. Because she, she has natural feelings like a yeah. human. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, I yeah. was just <laughs> like, not, I don't know what this inside. is. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is great. Freaked out. My mom had to take her out oh, of no. the arena because oh, no. my sister was crying. So think about this part, too. My mother leaves an 11 or 12-year-old <laughs> boy alone, with, alone with, wasp. with wasp in an arena full of kids like smoking pot and whatever. Anyway, I'm sitting there watching the show. My sister had nightmares for weeks, oh, for weeks oh, wow, my God. about wasp. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that, that's a good go. story. Well, and, and I... That's before you could do research. It's not like your mom could be like, I'll just Google yeah. who's opening. Or right, right. Google yeah, Wasp. Yeah, but you could have yeah. asked somebody in town what a rock concert is like. That, that's... It, Wasp was, I got to give 
Wasp was that too much for me when I was young. Like Wasp was like that's it's too much for me now. So I well, it's uh, it, it, it's it's stupid and offensive. It's stupid and offensive. Ah, Absolutely, yes, that's definitely part of it for <laughs> me. Yeah. yeah. So um so yeah after that concert I did buy that album because <laughs> I was like what I, the hell is I, this? I never owned right? a Wasp record. I never uh, crossed over. I couldn't oh, too much. Yeah, but we got to talk. Blackie yeah. Lawless guy's a fucking genius. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I was thinking of fear or or being afraid yeah. in a very different way. Um, if you ever admire the uh, photo of Rush on the back cover of 2112, it's a whole... <laughs> admire is a word. Whole other... It's grind. a thing. Grok? It's a thing. No. All right, well, uh, well we no, encourage wow. our listeners to look the, look that up. <laughs> I want to do mine pretty quickly because it, because they're pretty standard. Um, and I want to say we have coming up probably in a week or so a, another DBL special episode, which is our listeners' scary songs, bands, and album covers. So mm. listen for that. That's coming up. We're including you listeners, you see. So here are my two. Number one was scary by such so scary by reputation that I did not listen to the music, which was Alice Cooper. Because, you know, yeah. you're, you're in fifth grade and everybody's talking to you about, like, Alice Cooper. Like, he performs sacrifices on stage. The bite the head of the off the bat <laughs> thing got, you know, gets magnified in the schoolyard to this guy's uh, well, that's Aussie, mania. Though. That's an Aussie story. That's Aussie. Okay, fine. Yeah. Not, not in my school. <laughs> yeah. You're wrong. That was everybody in, in, you were Kantiak, afraid of. In Kantiak Elementary off. School. No, to your point, no, uh, Alice had the chicken head rumor. Right. Ozzy oh, had the bad Well, not, not in my school. Okay. Um, okay. Ozzy barely uh, registered in elementary school. By junior high, people <laughs> were talking about Ozzy. Um, and so it wasn't until about a year or so later that I caught an episode of The Muppet Show featuring Alice Cooper. Oh, classic. And, and it's a great episode, but I also realized, like, oh, these songs are really good. I actually knew the ballad that he did, and... Uh, there is nothing scary about scary music. They're just <laughs> buffoons. And uh, <laughs> that's well, kind of how yeah. I felt about scary music ever since. Hmm. I, I'm an obsessive Alice Cooper fan, right? And I, I love all the phases. But the first time I ever saw him was the cover of Constrictor, where he has a big snake coming out of his mouth, yeah. which was freaky. It is freaky. And that's why I, I had to buy it. To the point of fear. Yeah. yeah, it's that one. To the point of fear, I was like, I need to have that. Whatever that is, I'm going to be interested in whatever that music sounds like. Changed my life. It was a life-changing moment for yeah, the Cooper. That's Coop. so nice. That's so sweet of him. When I met Alice Cooper, all he wanted to talk about was golf. Oh, we all have our Big golfer. Hey, yeah. Jeffy, get ready to play this thing. Here's my other one. This music both terrified me and intrigued me. My brother's friend Scott had this album. My brother wasn't that into music, but I would sit in Scott's room, and this is one of his favorite albums from the late 70s, and it opens with this, which scared the crap out of me, but I couldn't stop listening to it. See, I knew how bad it was going to get. By now, now I'm already scared. <laughs> oh, yeah. But at least the lyrics won't be bad, will they? Oh, yes, they will be. I don't know what this is, but I'm into this. It's coming after us. It's pretty yeah. great. You really don't notice? I'm on a high alert. You'll know in a second. <laughs> Don't start singing. You're gonna sing the bad stuff. Guided on you with your big-headed crew, with your narrow-minded cronies who are 
Death on Two Legs, the opening cut on Queen's Night at the Opera. I loved that band so hard, but there were three or four songs that I was very young when I first heard it that just were delightfully terrifying to me. And, of course, Bohemian Rhapsody was one of them as well. But Death on Two Legs, which is, I guess, written to a former... Uh, manager, I think, Brian, not pointing any fingers, but mm. um, <laughs> just mm. it's it's so violent and scared me a lot. I, you know, listening to it in this context, I completely understand what you're talking about. But when I experienced Queen, it was so theatrical. It reminded me of like musicals or something. It, right. it, I knew it was a con. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I didn't recognize, I mean, I haven't listened to that album for a long time, but the cover, everything you know that's on it, it felt like, yeah, it felt like play acting for a minute. Yeah, it felt like, yeah. oh, it's a Vincent Pricey thing. For a second, me not recognizing it, I was like, whatever this is, is awesome, and I'm into this. Yeah. And I was hoping that we continue just being screechy guitars and and marching towards something, because I would have I bought that. That's uh, that's that's. I feel wasp. like they march or something. Yes, yeah. You want wasp? You wanted to march in that particular way. So there's that. Those are the things that scared us. Um, I love that. Listen for a special episode coming up. And here's something that's not going to scare you: these fantastic sponsors, Dad Bandland. Dad Bandland has Dad returned. Man. As promised, we're back. <laughs> it's true. As the was foretold. We're, yeah. we're in the room with you already. Yeah. <laughs> pointing yeah. at pointing you. Pointing at you. You stand before Dad Bandland. Who are these that stand before me? We've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. That's right. Or your car, depending on where you're listening to it and what time of day it is. Yes. All right. But as, as if you haven't been frightened enough, you've run from, from that, that jukebox joint. You've heard all those scary songs. All of them. You don't know where to go, but you can't spend a night out in the open. And there, formerly owned by old man Frank. <laughs> Looming in the distance. Maybe this, maybe it's come under new ownership, but no. <laughs> it's his son who inherited it. It's inherited wealth. It is. He's no less scary than old man Frank. jeez. Oh, no, it's me. I'm supposed to be on that, too. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm vamping. So old man Frank owned it from about 1937 through... 2003. What kind of mortgage did he get on it? Uh, it was definitely, he was definitely <laughs> refinancing it through the 80s. Certainly. Yeah, we hope I turn the volume certainly. up. Certainly. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. That much louder than everything else for you guys? Seamless, though, but it was seamless. It was really well done. Your work was very well done. Brian Frank, inside the the mudroom of your house (laughs) of wax, it's time for some wax facts. What platters are we spinning this week? So um, this week we're discussing Aretha Franklin, Amazing Grace, uh, which was originally released on June the 1st, 1972, which makes it uh, 50 years old as of about the time of this recording. Uh, The version that I listened to was the reissue that they put out in 2014. They did a gatefold 180-gram double LP remaster. Um, And now you can get a uh, 4-LP set of literally everything that was recorded. Oh, wow. So I'm tempted. Uh, And there's also now a 50th anniversary reissue on white vinyl. But this is the one from 2014. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, It sounds great. Um, And this was her uh, recording with James Cleveland and the Southern California Community Choir. You want to tell people who James Cleveland was? Absolutely. So um, this was um, recorded at the New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. 
uh, on January the 13th and 14th of 1972. Did you have a story that you wanted to add about uh, no, 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 Cleveland? No, I, I, I can go. My story oh. is later on. But okay. I, but I just okay. like James Cleveland is yeah. kind of a big figure in gospel. So, yes. And, and I do want to get into all those things uh, through our Wax Facts. Wax Facts. Um, so uh, this was recorded over two days, and uh, most of the songs on the original album come from the second night uh, of this recording where Aretha's father was in attendance, as well as Mick Jagger and Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones, who were in L.A. working on Exile on Main Street. Wow. Um, and Clara Ward was also in attendance. Um, and... Uh, I wanted to actually, I, if you handle the the James Cleveland stuff, I want to mention Clara Ward because I just found this really uh, well, interesting. James, James Cleveland came, was just kind of the, the king of gospel, I believe was his nickname. So that gives yeah. you, he kind of invented the modern rock-tinged gospel. Absolutely, absolutely. And this, you know, so, um, and, uh, you know, he plays uh, piano uh, on this. And um, what happens is if you watch the film, which I want to get into in a, in a minute, um, on during the song "Never Grow Old," uh, one of the parishioners uh, is overtaken and starts staggering towards the stage, and Clara Ward uh, gets up and tends to this woman, and that's where you see Clara Ward, the singer in the film. Uh, and Clara Ward was an American gospel artist um, who was big in the '40s and '50s as the leader of the famous Ward Singers and um, mentored Aretha along with Mathalia Jackson. Um, But the interesting part about Clara Ward is she had an affair (laughs) with uh, Reverend C.L. Franklin, Aretha's father. Yo! And Before, after, or during the recording of this album? Well, it it could have been all three. Um, But sadly, Clara Ward died um, January 16th, 73, so right after uh, this recording, and Aretha and her father both sang at her funeral. So she was a a pivotal person uh, for both of them. but in so, different ways. In different ways. So as you mentioned, Adam, you know, the, this is um, an important, important moment for gospel and the development of gospel music and its popularization. Um, and uh, this record was produced by Jerry Wexler and Arif Martin uh, from Atlantic Records, and Jerry Wexler being a famed um, Jewish atheist. Uh, I think did a pretty good job of, of bringing gospel to people, and I, I think what it, it, I was struck by John Hammond's liner notes, which proved to be prophetic uh, inside this record. I, I have to read this quote: "This will be the album I suspect that will go down in history as both Aretha's most shining hour and the final breakthrough of black gospel music to mass appreciation." Jerry Wexler has always dreamed about the time that the general public would be ready for Aretha properly recorded in church. That time is now here, and I wonder if popular music will ever be the same again. And yet nobody ended up buying or listening to the album, right? <laughs> What'd you say? Nobody what? What'd you say? Nobody ended up buying or, right, or re- exactly. listening. Yeah. So, no, no. So that's exactly right, which is... It, he was right. Uh, this record hit number two on the R&B charts, number seven on the top 200, sold over two million copies, won the Grammy for Best Soul Gospel Performance. It was not surprising to me that this is the highest-selling live gospel album of all time. What was surprising to me in my research is this is Aretha Franklin's best-selling album of her career. You think about 
all the songs that are super famous and how popular she was, this was the biggest seller. And wow. it's hard to think about putting oneself in 1972, two million people, who were the people that bought this record? I mean, I'm moved by it. I'm not, you know, I don't, uh, it's maybe one of the only gospel records I own and I proudly own and listen to it. And it's so moving to me, but you think about that. It's, it's really impressive. I was not aware it was her top selling record at all. And, uh, and I, I really feel like live records end up being in that position, you know, regardless of what they are. It's it's rare that a Especially live record. Especially her and Frampton, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say. And Kiss Alive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap trick Can we gone. just moratorium and, uh, on Kiss? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, but yeah, no, it's just to have someone who's had the career that she's had have it be a live record without those, without most of the songs she's known for on yeah. it is pretty astounding. And I, it was non information I was aware of, Especially in 72, which is. Like we, you said, Exile on Main Street, Ziggy Stardust. Like there was a lot out there at the time. This is incredible that a double record set of gospel music sold that many copies. Yeah. and it's pre Who Zoom and Who. You know, I mean, really, predates Who Zoom and Who. Um, all right, who wants? It's a jump ball here. Who wants to jump on this? Uh, you, let me let me frame it. Maybe somebody can answer a question. Um, I'm. I, we've never all talked about this, but I kind of assume that I'm sitting at a table of atheists or ag- and or agnostics. Am I correct? Accurate. Yeah, yes. Yeah. More, okay, so yes. so take the godless people at this table. What is your experience of this album and gospel music? And and maybe we can discuss a little bit like, you know, why is so much religious art so good except well, for Christian rock? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's well, we could there. Yeah. There's some decent Christian rock out there. Okay. Uh, I don't you have did any. Bring Creed as a guilty <laughs> yeah, pleasure. Scott Stapp for the win. Um, yeah, I was going to say that listening to this album kind of mirrored my experience as a singer in a gospel choir in college, who was the, maybe, probably the only, again, atheist in the group, but it wasn't about the worship for me. It was about the, it was proof to me that there was... Uh, something about music that transcends uh, notes and instruments and performers. I get that. It, there, there's a there's a communal experience that is music, and anybody who's playing the band feels that mm-hmm. too. And then you add in the church thing, which is meant to be a communal experience. I, I definitely hear that. Now, for for me, there was a revelation here, which was that you know. I, I, I can't, can't believe how many strands of American music are pulled together to make this album. This right. is really where, where mo- modern gospel started to emerge. And it's, it's just what it made me think about, my revelation of it, was the, just the wonderment of music in the 20th century. I think we're still too close to the 20th century to understand how massive what happened with music during those 100 years was. And, of course, it all has to do with, you know, the recorded, mm-hmm. recorded sound. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden... Like hundreds of genres and subgenres are created. There's this cross pollination between like the U.S., the U.K. You can't not mention Brazil and Southern Africa and Jamaica. And it, it it's it's it was like a musical renaissance that for music was bigger than the actual renaissance. Mm-hmm. And 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 listening to that all come together on this album with people just screaming their heads off. It's astounding. It's astounding. It's astounding. And to answer your question too, as someone who who grew up going to church and doesn't you know in any way now. 
church music did not sound like this when I was growing up, right? For you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, when I grew up, what I came to associate church music was not this. And there's something about it being so infectious, so inviting, that if you told me just just there's going to be an album with this many songs about Jesus, I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to enjoy that. And and to find myself not being turned off, not feeling like an outsider looking in, feeling invited to this from the musical It is the friendliest sound in the world. It's the friendliest sound in the world, and it does not feel judgy. It does not feel... Oppressive. Oppressive. It does not feel like you're forced to be an outsider if you're not part of it. Right. It doesn't feel like you're going straight to hell. It doesn't, no, which is a good (laughs) feeling sometimes. It's a good feeling. Um, But, no, it's absolutely... (laughs) And again, there's a there's the enthusiasm level. Like this doesn't feel like people being forced. Nobody's to sing along. phoning this in. Yeah, no. nobody's yeah. phoning no, drop, it. No, drop in. the needle on one on one of the up tempo ones. Uh, you had it ready, didn't you? Unbelievable. And here's the thing is, I I love this stuff, period. I enjoy it so much. And the thing, you know, what you were saying about Jeffy too, the the power of the music, but also I'm moved by how much the people who are performing it or participating in it do believe in it. Yeah. It it doesn't turn me off. Right. It doesn't turn me off in any way because it does feel authentic, just like another musician. You know, stating whatever he or she they wants are performing, to but it's not performative. Yeah, Raps, yes, absolutely. Well and, and as someone again who grew up singing hymns and stuff, where nobody was enthusiastic, this right. is the exact opposite of that. Yeah, they yeah. are on board. Now that's a point I wanted to touch on quickly, Jeffy. If I may, I was hanging out at Jeffy's house about a month ago, and this is total coincidence. Um, but Jeffy. Your wife put on an Aretha Franklin gospel tune for me. I think it might have been how I got over. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she told me is that she grew up in Chicago it, going to a church where this music happened on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever would have left that church. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, right. My music in, yeah, in, in houses of worship growing up was so shitty. You're, you're so right. If the music was better, people would be at church more often. Well, I that's a that's... lot of the modern uh, evangelical Christian you know, movement. Is around <laughs> trying to make music, it sound yeah, yeah. better. You right? know, good performances and stuff. I, I think it's also really important to talk about this film in conjunction mm-hmm. with this. Oh, album. the film that Aretha wouldn't let be released. Yes. Um, which, if you haven't seen, please see. Have you guys seen no, the film? No, I've not seen the film. Oh my god! All right, you gotta <laughs> you gotta see the film. In my opinion, that really puts us over the top in terms of the enthusiasm oh, and stuff around yeah. it. The other interesting part is the music in the film is the actual what's being performed in the room, mm-hmm. whereas revealing some secrets here, there are some musical overdubs on the mm-hmm. album. Not Aretha and her vocals, but there's some we musical overdubs. We haven't touched on those, and, by the way, because that carries the album. And her edits. voice is unbelievable. But t- for, for our audience here, the, this was actually filmed by Sidney Pollack. Oh, wow. uh, when it was performed, and it was, it was set to be released as part of a double bill with Superfly in 1972. So if you want to talk about a cultural collision, right? And mainstream film studio insanity. Wow. 
think about that for a minute. Superfly paired. They're like, that they're just, were they just thinking black people? Yes. That's yeah, all like, they were gonna not get, thinking. This is how we're going to get black people it's into like, a movie Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, yeah. We, can, we can get them with the music and with the right. violent, yeah. druggy <laughs> so, subculture. That's so, what? I don't even... No. The amazing. No, it's yeah. not okay. No, it's not okay. <laughs> and it never happened. It never happened it didn't because, happen. amazingly, Sidney Pollack, who's a very talented filmmaker, mm -hmm. right? Of course. Clearly hadn't made a documentary before or, or a musical film, and he actually didn't sync, he didn't oh, take the time to no. sync the picture with the sound. Oh, yeah. Why so, would you do that? Yeah. So what happened it's not was. important in filmmaking, as far as I know. It was essentially unusable unless someone was going to sit there to try to sync it up for all of these years. So that, that was part of it. The Once other part of it. Once you have digital tools, though, it becomes a lot right. easier. All that, exactly. So, and then the other part that happened was Aretha was promised that this film would make her a movie star, oh. right? Like Diana Ross did mm -hmm. with Lady Sings the Blues. Barbara Streisand, Funny Girl, all these kinds of things. And she, I think there was a disconnect because documentaries don't generate the money that right. feature mm -hmm. films mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. And part of her blocking it wasn't because she didn't appreciate her performance in it or thought it, but it, she was not going to be compensated or made into a star the way that she had been promised. So there mm. was a block. Gotcha. So then what happened was, like I said, the, the, this, the film just sat in a vault for 38 years. And right before Sidney Pollack died, he turned the footage over to another producer who he spent two years digitizing, figuring out how to sync yep. it up and solving the problem, where which can, he did. Where can we stream this puppy? I don't know. I saw it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, right, let's we'll, do some research. Yeah, we'll do some research. We'll so, do some research and get back to our listeners yeah, on the watch that. Because um, watch it. But to your point, Adam, then when they were ready to release it in 2011... Aretha sued him for using her likeness without her permission. Then they found her original contract, and oh, wow. that negated that lawsuit. So then <laughs> they were going to show it at Telluride and Toronto and Chicago film festivals. She sued again and was granted an emergency injunction. But um, then she up and died. And then uh, her then estate, she, probably. Yeah. Then she died, and the movie premiered three months after her. Oh, interesting death. how that works. And now it's yeah. available on every streaming service. Very fantastic. I'm going to be watching it. What, what was her reason for preventing its release even that late after all these years? She said something about wanting to control her image and having the right to do so. That it was like taken from her, basically. Like gotcha. she so, so it wasn't permission. anything about the quality of it. It was no, not at all. It was and in fact, to do with it, the... people claim that they she saw it right close before her death and loved her performance in it. Yeah. But it is more about, I think, you know, uh, a conception of not really considering the contract that she signed in 1972 yeah. and understanding that technically she didn't have the rights. She had sold her right <laughs> to right. stand in the way of it. In the right? same sense that most people back then sold their rights. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but she cared were... about her image. This is a woman who yeah. had two different yeah. outfits at her own funeral. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, maybe the only costume change at a funeral ever, right? <laughs> um, I want to I want to go take one little side trip because it's a trip I took this week and it's really kind of interesting. I want to start by uh, saying I was listening to this and there's a reason why I played that song by Queen for you before because I've been thinking about Queen this week because I'm listening to Aretha Franklin and her amazing vocals and I feel I was thinking the whole time 
is Freddie Mercury just doing an Aretha Franklin imitation when he sings? Mm -hmm. And then I heard this. It's the last 45 seconds of Amazing Grace. We only need a, about a, a five-second clip. This driving yesterday, I heard that, and all my alarm bells went off because yep. <laughs> those last few notes yep. are directly in the end of somebody to love. It's at yep. the uh, it's at the one minute and fifteen second mark. If you want to compare it right now, at the end of one somebody to love, but it's 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 too distinct to be coincidence, right? Yeah. Let's take a listen. Particularly pay attention to the end. Right? Yep. <laughs> wow. Okay, note so, for note. So now yep. I'm obsessed, and yeah. I start looking into it, and it turns out you only have to Google Freddie Mercury, the Aretha Franklin, to start getting <laughs> a lot of answers. Wow. He loved her. He was devoted to her. There's so many quotes about him talking about her. We're going to play a, a bit in a second. Um, Brian May, in fact, uh, said at one point, Freddie wanted to be Aretha Franklin. You have to bear this in mind, and that explains everything. Mm, and then I found a tiny bit of an interview on... YouTube, I think it's late 70s, somebody asking Freddie Mercury if musicians steal from each other and if he steals. And this was his answer. It's about a minute long. Do you think people steal from each other in rock and roll a lot? All the time. Do you? All the time, yeah. But there's stealing and there's you know, robbing and there's, there's sort of actual murdering. So, I mean, it just depends. I mean, yeah, everybody steals. And sometimes you steal without even thinking it, you know. That can be good. I mean, it's just... Uh, I mean, I don't sit down and look, uh, listen to everybody and say, okay, I'm going to snatch that phrase or whatever. I mean, I can get influenced. Like Aretha Franklin's um, like phrasing is just wonderful. I wish I could sing like her. You know, her, her phrasing is just so beautiful and so effortless. And it's just, she just sings like a dream. It's just like, I mean, she doesn't have to think about it. I mean, when I have to sing, I think about it. I think, <laughs> okay, I have to sort of, and I shall practice a few phrases and then do it. Whereas I, I, I can tell by just listening to Aretha Franklin's records that, I mean, she just goes and then just, it's effortless. Having said that, I'm sure she'd call me up and say, wait a minute, I, I'm going there and do... No, but it just sounds so effortless, and it's all sort of spontaneous phrasing and things, which is what I love, and uh, I sometimes try to do that on, on... It's like a song called Somebody to Love. You know, that was the gospel element, and when Aretha was doing all the gospel stuff, I just loved that, you know, the big big, humongous choir behind her. Yeah. So wow. it wasn't I, yeah. just yeah. it wasn't I, just that I, it sounded yeah. like that. It was this album that inspired him. Probably that moment that he was doing at the end of Somebody to Love. Yeah. I love I'd, that. I'd love, except I've done this so many times, where you make some connection, you feel like you broke through like some genius detective, and then yeah. you find out that it's all completely available to you. Everybody like, knows they, it. It's right out there. Everyone knows it, and then he even says it. He just yeah. straight yeah. out, to straight out. told yeah. you. The yeah. question was, <laughs> do rock and rollers steal from each other? But it, it also brought me back to that whole thing I was thinking of, like the way that music was developing yeah. you know, during that era and the way every genre was feeding off each other. It's what makes uh, it, I don't know, it was one of the things that made this out, listening to this album so special to me this week. I would agree. I would agree. And especially I look at all the things that were happening at the same time. These are all you could walk into a record store, pick up any of the big seventy two hits, and they're all tremendous. They're all sharing production values. They're all sharing, you know, you said Mick Jagger was there. Do you know what I mean? Like they're in the same 
the music's very different, but they're not so separate, not so niche in that world anymore. Yeah. I, I think that there was such a huge element of invention and discovery at that time. I think that it was a time when artists were listening to one another, yeah. and people were listening to all kinds of stuff, and it's that's a streak from... I don't know, 66 to like 75 or something mm-hmm. where it's, it's every, every year, you know, I, I, I post my records on the five and zero anniversaries of stuff on your and Instagram I, account. Everybody Instagram follow account. Brian on Insta. Yeah. If we haven't mentioned that a few times and every year I'm like, Oh man, this was the best year. 68. Right. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And then I get to the next year. I'm like 69, yeah. 70, 71. Now we're in 72 yeah. at 72 and 77. I'm posting a lot of records from him. I'm like, God, Damn! Didn't Stevie Wonder release two albums in '72? <laughs> yeah, like well, you know, and, yeah. and to that, I mean, the double record set, mm-hmm. the technology to record. This is a great sounding record. This doesn't have the right to sound as good as it sounds. You know, had this been ten years yeah. earlier, it would not be the record. It would not have the dynamics that we're hearing right now, which is also tremendous. But this is also this is the '70s. It's the rise of the live record. That yeah. being a big part of getting into a fan base. I love that she made essentially an original album that happens to be a live album. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like an album of all new songs that is live. And a lot of credit. That's why I wanted to mention Jerry Wexler and Arif Martin to that very point. And uh, definitely worth looking them up. Those are personal heroes of mine. I had the honor of actually meeting Arif and working with him briefly when I worked at Atlantic Records in the 90s. And I would just sit there and like ask for every possible story because that guy's because <laughs> yeah. there were some I'd, yeah i just sit at his it's like sitting you know uh whatever at his uh at his feet just being like tell me more sir <laughs> i have to know this cover is this her in front of the church because in my mind i've absolutely she stepped out sat down for a picture and if it's not i don't want to know I don't think it is. What? Okay, it totally is. He literally told you he didn't want to know. (laughs) Yeah, it's completely, that's the church. She's in front of it. I do love her outfit, though, on the cover of this. I I love the early 70s. Well, I love this album. And uh, does anybody have any closing arguments, or are we just... uh, Uh, There's there's nothing really to say. I mean, the the title sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing and graceful. It is amazing and graceful. And slightly less amazing, but still amazing... These sponsors, Dad Band Land, will be right back with some guilty pleasures for y'all. DTL. DBL has returned. <laughs> that was intense. We stand before you again. <laughs> Not to be <laughs> dismissed <laughs> ever again. But now we have a shameful secret. A terrible, terrible secret. Four. Terrible secrets. <laughs> I like you counting uh, uh, the count. Uh, uh, Four <laughs> terrible one, secrets. Four, one, two. two, two. Yes, it's time for guilty pleasures, everybody. And and you know, <laughs> our fans love the guilty pleasures. And I gotta say, I still love them too. I still uh, love yeah. confessing songs I, that don't fit my self-image. I thought I'm gonna say like six or seven episodes ago, I was like, I'm running out. And then I keep discovering it. And no. there's like a wave. More and more keep We are never in. going to run out. And I'm starting to wonder as if I As long as there's a Walgreens on this planet yeah. playing a radio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if I like any good music now. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I'll start. I don't know how guilty I am about this one. Oh, uh, uh, well, can we be the judge of how guilty you should be? You can be, because here's my thought. My thought is that this will be a completely non-guilty pleasure in a few years. It feels oh, so recent it's, enough that the smoothed out production oh, and stuff. Okay, might, yeah. It's it's actually about 20 years old, which is going to freak you out when you hear it. Because you're sure, going to be like, that, sure, that was a recent sure. hit, which just means that we're fucking old. But um, 
I just, it, it's the harmonies and stuff. Just hit it. Guys, know what it is yet? We gotta stay around until they start harmonizing. This is a hit. Nobody knows what this is yet. I thought it was five different things before we got here. I thought here. it was in the Rhythm of the Night by Billy <laughs> <laughs> I assumed it was a Sublime song I had never heard. Well, Jeffy, you know what it is. Yes. What is this? Los Lonely Boys. Heaven. Oh. Heaven. Yes. Heaven. This was number one on the adult contemporary charts in 2004, <laughs> and I think number 14 on the Billboard uh, Hot is 100. That, is that How do you legit? know that off the top legitimate. of your head? Uh, can we pause like, the recording two, two, and I'll tell yeah. you? Okay. <laughs> oh, you can't tell. You can tell us afterwards then. Tell no, us but afterwards. a story you can't tell. Two us. seconds ago, you did never heard the song, and now you have all this information about it. This is, I mean, I knew the song. I don't listen to the adult contemporary. At least 20 years ago, I didn't. 2004. I should, I should get into it now, I suppose. Now, um, I don't think these guys were setting out to make the adult contemporary charts. I think no. they, um, they're three How? brothers, I think, from Texas. Um, I and think they are Los Lonely Boys. I think their producer was definitely yeah. to the adult. The, the thing is, that they harmonize. Tone, they that, harmonize like only brothers can. That's true. And and there's just something about that feel and that swing. It's or they a, were in an acapella group in college together. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering. The Garza brothers. I'm wondering the Garza if, brothers. if your plan of 20 years of it not being a guilty pleasure is going to pan out. We have to check back in. You think that's always going to be guilty? I think that well, it's always going to be what it is, which is kind of smooth. And you think that maybe it's in the mm. Curious George movie or something, and it's not. Yeah, I like I, hearing I, it. I, I, it I heard the non-capital like S for smooth there. <laughs> <laughs> It's not often you hear the non-cat, the yeah, non-capitalized. Verbally version. didn't capitalize yes. smooth. Wow. Well, there it is. It's a guilty pleasure, but you know what? When that comes on in the Walgreens, I am gliding you down the You spend a lot of time at Walgreens. Yeah. Though, I, I actually, I usually go to CVS. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of prescriptions Wal to fill? Well, not really. Wal Walgreens is just a funnier name. It's, mm. I'm a comedy writer. <laughs> Uh, I, have a, of the I have a ranking of names, Walgreens or CVS. Walgreens is a much funnier pharmacy than CVS. It's because right of the G. Right aid. Right aid. Yeah, right aid sounds too rinky dink. Boring. Sounds too sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can't even spell right. No, no, you're right. Right. What is right aid, too? It's the yeah. correct aid. Yeah. It's I never the thought wrong about it. aid. Yeah. yeah. You go to wrong aid. spelled it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I went the wrong aid. Shit. <laughs> now I'm taking the wrong medicine. No. <laughs> <laughs> They Even the right medicine. Why not? Yeah. Wrong aid. Spelled R -I -T. Wait, why'd you give me this right a subscription? Medicine? You came the wrong aid. What do you think we were going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so you're taking uh. a horse dewormer. That's that. Um, hey, Jeffy, what are you guilty about? I have brought something terrible. Um, I think this may be the first song I'm going to apologize for in advance. Wow. Uh, and you didn't even apologize for Creed. So yeah, I know. This is, it's, this scared. is late 80s. Now I'm scared. Uh, Nonsensical lyrics. It's a band you've heard of, but you've not. You haven't heard this song because nobody bought this album. <laughs> you did. This is from the Wang Chung Mosaic album. Oh, ooh, yeah. Is that their so third album? I did have that. Album. I think it's their third it's album. It's the Everyone Has Fun Tonight album. 
Oh shit! Everybody I saw bought them that warm album. up for the yeah. cars. I, I completely messed that up. Yeah. Everybody bought that album <laughs> and then skipped this never song. Went, never went past track two. Bring it in. Yeah. Bringing it in. So this has everything. It's got the shitty, nonsensical lyrics. I love the reverb. So much reverb. I love it. I mean, yeah, it rings out for like a minute. Yeah, this is recorded on a seaside cliff or on a grid. <laughs> okay, now I need I need to ask you. Um, Why do you like that song? Yes, what is pleasurable <laughs> about that guilty pleasure? <laughs> I think it's just of a time for me. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it was one of the first CDs I bought, I think. And well, you had that um, on CD. Yeah, I had it wow. on CD. That was like $40 wow. back then. Yeah. Um, yeah it's like a million dollars in today's money. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, you know, I, in college, I think there was, when, when was everybody? Wang Chunging? 87. Go to artist. I was going to say 85 or 86. 87. I was in high school when I saw this. So, So, yeah, it was one of the first CDs I bought. I remember that and No Jacket Required and. Wow. Okay, so 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 it's sentimental because sentimental to me, to me it, it sounds like somebody w- approached Howard Jones and said that's great, but could you take all the melodies out? We need yeah. less hooks. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, not sophisticated in its construction. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm it's gonna... pretty aggressive. The yeah. drum beat was so I thought digital. it was pretty like <laughs> it's so. Digital. I'm into it, but yeah, it's like on the back of the CD, it's D D D. Yeah, you can hear yes. the D D. You can hear all the D's. All three D's. Yeah, I would. I remember that that sound. I remember hating so much through the '90s and thinking no one will ever love it again. And I'm I'm back around. It's come back around, and I can I can I can just put that in the background and be like, wow, this sounds great. I I I think you might. You know, might want to put on mosaic next time you're you know looking what? for something I'm to listen to. I'm, yeah, done. It's no Brandon. Done. Don't I, listen on vinyl. No. I it had, ruins it. I had mosaic on cassette. I was a, more of a working class mosaic right. purchaser. <laughs> it was only because I could buy it at the at the book at the uh, university bookstore with my. I with my I, with university bookstore credit. I card. saw a guy. Mm. I remember, I'll never forget this. It was '86. He was in the record store ahead of me. He was buying Invisible Touch and and I was very young. CDs oh, had just yeah. come out and and No Jacket Required on CD. And I was Shit. like, This guy must be rich. I can't believe he's buying two, <laughs> two CD CDs at, at the same time. At the time. same time, Amazing. like wow. he probably he's probably he's driving buying, a Lamborghini. He's buying two <laughs> CDs on the same paycheck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But. Often we manage to uh, to affirm each other's pleasures mm-hmm. um, with these songs. So far, we've got two firm affirmed guilts. Let's keep it rolling. Well, I'm unfamiliar. I, 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 I I'm was unfamiliar, unfamiliar to, to have an opinion yeah. on both. Um, okay. The most of the guilt I would feel are production based, not mm. for both. Not for both. Yeah, not song based. Yeah, I mean this one. I, I feel like one last thing on my thing on mosaic, uh, yeah, which is that this is both bad and. Terrible. <laughs> well, I, I, I gotta. You know, no, I mean, I, I can't. Gotta, I can't argue. I gotta. I gotta follow up on my question. I, I mean, I've heard Mosaic. It's been whatever thirty million years. But what? Why that's of all the songs? Of all, all the songs on Mosaic, yeah, why is that one more genuine hooks? 
Yeah, why is that song more guilty than any other song? Is my is my why? Yeah, because it's not good. Like, yeah. Yeah, totally it's right. not the best song on that album. It's not the best song on that song. Sure. It's not the best song on that side of the album. <laughs> I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do some research on Mosaic. We're gonna get yeah. back to it on this right. one. Yeah. I'm interested. Maybe, I'm maybe, intrigued. You know what? Maybe next week we'll do a deep dive into Mosaic. We yeah. will not. Maybe we'll, hey, what, Brian, is that? That's the anniversary. <laughs> Brian Frank, what's your guilty pleasure? Uh, so, um, <laughs> mine might have some production guilt too from, uh, from Kevin. Uh, production guilt. Um, so th- this, this song's from 1991. Uh, it, it's from a band from England. Uh, mm. the other day, I can't remember what the context was, but we were talking about Jesus Jones right here, sure. right now. Yeah. I think yeah, I brought yeah, that yeah, as a guilty yeah. pleasure, didn't I? Did you? Maybe or did I just mentioned no, it. I think it was mentioned, but yeah, but, yeah, but I remember. So in my mind, that song and this song that we're about I to can hear guess what this song are, is, are completely, they're not the same song, but they're fused. Intertwined. Intertwined forever in my yeah. mind. And I will say any song that uses an Andrew Dice Clay sample. <laughs> wow. It's exactly what guilty. I thought. Why would you, why would you, why would you spoil why it? Why would you spoil it? Not everyone knows what I'm yeah, talking okay. about. Adam's giving me a yeah. blank look. Let's uh, hear it. Uh, here we go. I know this so well. <laughs> now I got it. <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> We gotta wait till the, Listen to that the one drum. word chorus. <laughs> so, um, of course, <laughs> of course, this is EMF. Yes, it is. From their debut album, Schubert Dip. It was also their thrilling final (laughs) album, wasn't it? No. (laughs) And uh, they bookended their career with one album. (laughs) 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 They managed to sum up their entire career with a single album. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This song only hit number three in their native country, but hit number one. In the United States. Wait, what was their native country? England. UK. I remember when it was number one. Why is... They must have been on MTV the same summer, like, every day. Because I remember Jesus Jones and them being the same band. If you had told me these were both... That song and Jesus Jones were the same, or they're both EMF, I would be like, yeah, okay, of course they are. And mix that with extreme more than words. (laughs) And it's like, uh, that's the entire block. That was the block in between commercials. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. And also, Unbelievable was in every commercial, I feel like, for the next five Mm, years. That might have been true. Mm. Yeah, and I watched. I the still video. find it pleasurable. I do. Oh, okay, good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I do too. And Guiltily I watched the video for the first time yes. in thirty years. Yeah, it's the most kids out there right now. All the kids listening to Jack Band. Like, <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you want to know what people looked like in 1991 and how yeah. they dressed, yeah. and you don't. <laughs> yeah. Watch this video. I, I was like, "Oh, I had that shirt. Yeah. I had those shorts. Like, <laughs> I had that hair. Guilty. No, I didn't have, have that, that hair. hair. Fantastic. No, I did not have that hair. Good yeah. one, Brian. Good. No, one. that's a good Thank one. You. That's that's. I'm just put that in up. That's pleasure. That's wow. Really guilty. I'm just it's, gonna say it's it. all pleasure. That's a, I feel like that's got to be a little to guilty. name another uh, guilty pleasure. I feel vindicated. <laughs> There's dice. There there is dice related guilt. Yes, there has to be. Hey, Kevin. Yeah, bring us home, man. I'm bringing this one. Yes. All right. Well, you should just play this one. Maybe you guys might might have heard it before. Here we go. 
I'm too sexy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, do you guys recognize it? This is unprecedented. This is the second time this song has been played on this show. It hasn't made it to the guilty pleasures. No, no. No, we just talked about it. Isn't he some, like, right-wing nut now, I, this dude? Not it's not left-said Fred. Yeah. I've not followed up on <laughs> right-said Fred. I think he changed his name to own the libs-said Fred. Yes, nice. So I got a question for you guys. Well, see, I brought this up because I... I knew, well, first of all, do you guys do you guys know what year the song was the number one song in America? Do you I'm going to go with 19... I don't remember. I think it's got to be 92. That is correct. Yeah. Very well done. Wow. The reason I bring that up is because history would like us to believe that 1992 is all alternative rock and gangster rap, but the number one song <laughs> in America was, a novelty was song. this novelty song. Right in the midst of all that. Right after EMF Unbelievable, right up, yeah. this was <laughs> number one. It no, was I, have number to, one. I have to recycle my question to Jeffy, to you. Yeah. <laughs> in what way is, is that song pleasurable? I think, I think I'm going to get the same answer, which is like, it was a time and a place. Well, is that my voice? Jesus yeah, Christ. Wow, is that, is that how I talk? It was a yeah. time That's and not how I it talk. It was the year I bought my <laughs> flying V. <laughs> Guitar. No, wait, that's not how he talks or how yeah, I talk. Perfect Kevin Burke. Who yeah, are you making fun of now? So, so here's the deal, Adam. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Tell us about the flying V you got. So, uh, <laughs> anyhow, no, what it was, this is this is sort of classic. The song came out, and I was like, this is so preposterous. And then I went to number one, and I thought, this is even more preposterous that I went and bought the CD single, figuring this was a novelty hit everyone would forget, and it would be up to me to, to keep it alive, it. to preserve mm. it. So I have a CD on my shelf still wow. with like seven different remixes of this song. Oh, wow. We can play them all, including a Spanish version. No, we Soy can't. tan sexy que mi amor. <laughs> it's very excellent. And uh, and anyhow, I've, I've been keeping this alive. Little did I know, this would actually become a legit big hit. Yeah. And a classic both... It has stood both, the test of time. Stood the test of time. In that, uh, yeah. Both, both, both the same way that Purple People Eater yeah, has. It, both sincerely, because <laughs> I'm sure that there are runway commercials that sincerely use this, as well as ironically. This song has had, I thought it would be a joke that I would be the only one to hold the key to remembering. No. Kind of like the new monkeys. Yes. <laughs> that turned yes. out to be the new monkeys. Was, I was the only one who remembered. Oh, Is this oh. a Spanish one? No. This is the 2007 Tastemakers 12-inch version. <laughs> Wait, 2007? It's still going on. It's yeah. like a cottage industry. I'm going to skip to the middle. It's unrecognizable. Um, yeah! Jeffy, can you give me a needle drop real quick? It's a it's a new song. It came out last year, I believe. It's way too sexy by Drake. Have you guys heard this? No, is I it, have not. Is it related? Sa- yeah, just check check this out. <laughs> listen, listen. Oh yes, I have heard this. <laughs> this is not okay, is it? I'm too sexy is its own genre of music. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Alright, now there's something happening here. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's, that's it. all we need. Wow, if Drake wants to borrow my, my remix CD, though, I'm sure he does. Him. So I, I just have to do a quick straw poll and then we're going to get out of here. How many of us enjoyed that song when it was out? 
too sexy. Well, I yeah. mean, yeah, I in an ironic way. Yeah, yeah, in, in a way that I was way. like, it came on and we all sang it. And we all knew yeah. it was dumb, but we all couldn't deny that. Yeah, it was it's like awesome. a Macarena or something. Yeah. And then, and then the guitar yeah. solo had that third Stone from the Sun, Jimi Hendrix lick that was thrown right. into it that made it feel a little classier to me. You yeah, know? classed like, up the joint yeah. a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How sure. about you? Did you not enjoy it? No, Were but I cool was teaching it? after school in Richmond to second and third graders, and they he was thirty-eight years old at that point, and just beyond. Wait, to second and third graders. My first job out of college. Um, Second and third graders. Yeah, they love that song. Hmm. Absolutely. That, well, everybody played that song. Everyone played that song. It was the number song. one song. It was the yeah. song in America. Yeah. So I, I got, I got exposed. I got overexposed to that. Oh, we all got overexposed. To yeah, that. and to Hammer Time. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of. This oh, was, no This was doubt. the speed of, of third graders at the time. Yeah. It was the speed of uh, tenth graders at that time too. <laughs> I can tell you. Were you in tenth grade? <laughs> I would have been in twelfth grade when that when that came out. But uh, but Hammer Time was my tenth grade. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, and with <laughs> Kyle, who, who, Kyle, who wins or loses? Who wins the crown of shame. Okay, first, I, I do want to say, Adam, I have to give my brother a quick shout out for your or for your guilty pleasure because we've had this like ongoing argument since we were kids about that song in particular. What was the argument? It, it's. It wouldn't even make any sense. We're so we're so young. <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. Okay, far. Um, and then also, Kevin, the reason you couldn't figure out how to do it, how to use a whammy bar, is because you're trying to play too sexy by race. <laughs> That's true. It's true. I have to go back to that. But I think the crown of shame goes to uh, Jeffy this week because. I feel like he wasn't really like he didn't really like his song that he picked. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think he's like quite bought into guilty pleasure. Yeah. Like fully, yeah. you know, he just It is it is it. the most apologetic yeah, I've been about right. a song. That's true. That's true. Yes. <laughs> so Jeff, you got it this week. Thanks, Crown buddy. of Shame, Congrats. Jeffy Brandon. And Congrats. with that, I want to say send your questions, comments, and your own cover band experiences to dadbandland at gmail.com. Follow us on all the socials. There was crap happening on Facebook this week. Yeah, crapping in. Crapping in on, on Twitters and the and the Instagrams. Follow us. It's fun. Get no, involved. No, and, and to, be, to be honest, if you ask a question, I should be working, but I really have to answer certain questions. Yes, there was a question this week that, that Kevin... I simply can't let it go. Yes, I would drop everything. You, If you check our Facebook uh, page, I, I think um, a listener asked who was, uh, who was bigger in the 80s, Def Leppard or Motley Crue? And Kevin obsessively answered for it. I'm thinking about it right now. Yes, I'm thinking about it. Dad Brand Land is produced by me and Jeffy Brandon. Opening music montage by Jeffy. Editing and Starburns production by Kyle McGraw. Our theme song is by Adam Korn. We will see you next week here in the land called DBL. DBL! DBL. DBL. Starburns Audio. A podcast network.